coming up in one minute on the Jack and Around podcast. So I wanted to come to the States so bad. I grew up on everything American. So I found this hostel right across the street from the Chinese theater on Hollywood Boulevard. They're like, so where are you staying? I said, well, at a hostel down, down the street. And they go, no, you're not. You, you're coming with us. You, you're going to play in, in Stargun. The shooter kind of took care of me, you know, don't worry about the rent. And so when you told his parents, you know, they said, well, that's great. You know, well, how about you guys come for a weekend and we can get to meet him. And I slept on the couch. It's Sunday morning. I smell food, and then I hear music, and I look up, and it's Waylon and Jesse sitting at the piano, singing. When I was in LA that summer, so it's 2006, I came to see you play at Whiskey A Go-Go. Taylor Swift was opening up for you, acoustic that night, it's like a radio show. You picked the wrong fucking band, you should have gotten in a Taylor Swift's band. I couldn't do I couldn't know. I, uh, since I became citizen, so that was 2016. That was something that was just as big as anything I did musically, you know, like your wildest dreams, it's becoming an American. This is the Jack and Around podcast, hosted by two-time Academy of Country Music Award winner, Jack Ingram. And now, here's Jack. The Jack and Around podcast is brought to you by Lone Star Dry Goods, a collection of handcrafted quality goods with a truly unique Americana vibe. Visit the world headquarters in the heart of downtown Abilene, Texas and Willow Park, Texas, near Fort Worth. And visit LoneStarDryGoods.com for more information. So we're coming up on episode seven. We're going to be speaking with and visiting with my good buddy, my old pal, my running mate, my band member, Kevin Sioux, a.k.a. Frenchie, a.k.a. Frenchie French Fry Forever Forget-Me-Not Fresca Freedom Froggy. He's going to tell us a story about how he got over here to America from France, how he stayed over here, and all his travels and travails in between. The question is... Found that at a junk shop. Ah, look! It's not. It's an empty key. There's no. Oh. So someone was moving in, but she did something. He did something, and uh, something happened somewhere. The honeymoon was over before it even started. <laughs> Are you ready, dude? We're losing our momentum here. Losing charm. Losing charm. You know, who says that all the time. Whenever they're doing like whatever, uh, Miranda, it's like her. It's her. Uh, That's the thing. Cue to her people, like let's get this fucking show on the road. Losing charm. I like that. Got thirty. We'll be ready. Hey man, we're gonna go to Starbucks real quick. Do you? Uh... <laughs> This is getting ridiculous. Man, you missed the guitar. Come on. Just rude. Rude. We ready, rolling? Yeah. Just ready a couple hours ago. Oh my god. <laughs> and how often you have to deal with him like that? I don't have to deal with him. You don't have to deal with him. Are we live? <laughs> been live for about 20 minutes. You just haven't known. Oh, you've been rolling this whole time? Yeah. Oh, God. Well, I guess we're live. Three hours behind schedule. It's about par for the course with Pivoto. 
what would you call it? TPD, typical pivo pivo deal. Yeah. No, no sodas, no beer, <laughs> no towels. Spilling water. The whole rider's xed out. Mm-hmm. All right. Make sure that get. I got it so you got this necks of the guitars, kind of. You can so you can tell what they are. <clears throat> so. Um, Rogan was talking when he had his podcast in Austin. Right before he finished his podcast in LA, he had Mike Tyson on. I saw that one. And he, Mike Tyson was getting ready for the fight. So oh, he was in full-on mode, like training and everything. And so he said it was so intense in the room. And I was so close to him that I got scared. So when I built the room in Austin, I made the table wider because I knew I'll have him on again and That's I don't funny. want to deal with it. So he made the table wider. I've learned a lot about doing a podcast just by watching his I mean, and watching some others, but it's pretty cool. I love it. You kind of see. It's like some people interview where they do all the, all the homework and all the research mm-hmm. and then others, it just kind of, what I, what I wanted is what I wanted to see was like because I love you and I lo- everybody that I've had on this so far I love yeah like I'm friends with or just yeah. you know, fans of and so I wanted to see like what how he did it when he had somebody that I know he probably doesn't really dig mm-hmm. or that he's not interested in the, not that interested in the subject matter or whatever and that was that was interesting because he's good at it yeah but he still doesn't do a ton of research he just talks. He says it all the time. He said, "I'm I'm a dumbass," <laughs> but he asks questions. Not that. That's what I mean. He's just he's interested. In he's people. interested in everything. And but what I like also is when he's got a guest on, and they don't talk about what the guest does. Right. Or he might later on, but they just start jiving, and you find out who the person is instead of going, "Hey, you know, I'm promoting this. I'm promoting that." Right. Just talk about, and you find out about all these people who they really are. Like he's had a few musical guests on, and it's kind of cool. Well, let's find out who Frenchie is, everybody. Oh, Welcome boy. to Jacking Around. Uh, we did this before, but I took a little vacation. I wanted to come back and revisit with Frenchie. Kevin Sue. Sue? Sue. He's from France. I thought he always had the name Frenchie, but apparently he says that I started calling him Frenchie. Now you remember, yeah. <laughs> I saw him playing with Wade Bowen at uh, it was a, one of the it was in Austin. Deal, the Lone Star. Yeah, it was in Austin by the by the river. It was you, right? No, it was. Well, <laughs> I remember it being in spring mm. at one of those Pivoto shows uh, before he. Where was that at? Before he lost his ass. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I saw you playing. Yeah, it was. Uh, he had those beige colored bell bottoms on and some kind of funky shirt. And I just remember thinking, that dude, God damn, you make it hard. Can we, can we not do that? <laughs> oh God. I remember looking at the stage going, that dude's a rock star. Yeah, had a corduroys. Yeah, brown corduroys. <laughs> yeah. Talking about you. I mean, Wade's a rock star too. I love Wade. And he's been on here, but. I just remember seeing you going, there's there's an energy there that it's pretty happening. Was that a show in Austin? Because I remember no, a show. We might have we might have met in Austin. Twice, yeah, then but there was two shows. I remember there. it being 
one of those two stage festivals that I forget what it was called, but it was in it was in the, some field by Spring, Texas, mm. and it, it was a Ziegenbach fest. That sounds about right. Anyway, when, when was that? Two thousand. That's two thousand three or four. It would have been three. Yeah, because I played way like you know on both years. So what made you leave France? Like you were you were twenty years old. Did you know for a long time you were going to leave? Mm-mm. Just kind of out of boredom. Like as a kid, were you? Did you have dreams of? Did you have the American dream? I, all I wanted to do was play. So by the time I was fourteen, I knew school was going to be out. That was it. But did you finish school? No. You didn't finish high school. No. Which but I found that music, man, it's the funniest thing. Like, well, you hear you hear people level say, of education means nothing in this world. No, it's like it, it's number good. of books read means a lot. Yeah, or street smart. You don't learn that yeah, in like school. You're you're a brilliant guy. And so I remember being having some difficulties for a while because I wanted to do music. My parents always supportive, but we don't know how to help you with that. When you're in the south of France. Teachers tell you, well, what if music don't work? You got to have a plan B. Parents listen to the teachers and say, what's going to be your plan B? And I said, I don't know. What, what I care about is playing guitar. And I was already playing shows by the time I was 13. Wow. There by was yourself like, or with a band? No, with bands, yeah. Because there was like a little scene going on. It was mid-90s. They still had that blues revival going on after Stevie Ray. So French bands were doing a lot of trios and four-piece bands and there was a bunch of bars to play at mm -hmm. so i was 13 and 14 playing on the weekends and making with, money with guys that were like older yeah yeah like a couple of friends my dad's friends you know playing with them and really good yeah good good enough to do a you know three chord 12 bar stuff and so I got good real quick because mm -hmm. I was playing with all the guys and and practicing all the time i would get up extra early before going to school just to practice an hour Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and then by the time I hit high school, I was playing every weekend, you know. And making money? Making money. And uh, I started skipping school, forging my uh, mom's signature for uh, doctor's notes, whatever, right. you know. Right. And it worked out for a while. And then one day my dad gets a call at work. He said, can we talk to Mr. Sue? Yes. Uh, uh, how's Kevin doing? My dad was like, oh, that's sweet. You know, yeah, he's doing great, you know. Yeah, because we haven't seen him in school for three weeks now. And so my Where dad- Where would you go? It's like cliche? Well, my, my parents have the same schedule every day. So I knew when they left and when they would come back. So I'd pretend to get on a bus, walk around for a little bit. All right, time to get back in the house. And they would come home for lunch, so I believe around 11.45, go have lunch and come back at, at like 1.15, you know, when I was back. And so by the time they got off work, I was supposed to be back from school. So basically, <laughs> I would just stay home and practice guitar all day. Right. One time, a teacher called home to talk to my parents and Adam one that picked up, and I was supposed to be in class. So long story short, my dad goes, how was school today? And I said, oh, it was great, you know, just nothing special. And he goes, cool, because, you know, they called at work, and I just went, Busted. Busted. And he goes, what have you been up to? And I said, well, I've been practicing. scared the shit out of him. Yeah, I was, I've been practicing guitar, just staying home and practicing guitar. So my dad was like, all right, that's cool. And I was like, all right. And he goes, but you know, I got to tell your mom, though. I was like, no. Because <laughs> <laughs> my dad was cool. My mom was cool, too. But, you know, she was 
more. Yeah, she was a mom. She was a mom, you know? And so, so I ended up working in a music store for a little bit. And then I had a period where- So you left school in the ninth grade? Is that ninth, I don't know, is it ninth grade? Yeah. I did, I did first year of high school and I had to do it again because my grades were terrible. Right. So the second year I thought, well, just, you know, do it, you know, that way you, but I couldn't even focus on, on any of that. So I went and worked in a music store and then after a while, the band broke up. The what? The band, the broke, band up? broke up? Yeah, it was called Route 66. And everything That's fell so apart. That's so funny, I mean, what so. a cliche to have a band name of an American highway and a French band. That's right. Well, you know, I got it tattooed. <laughs> I love it. Uh, I think it's great. And so, so the band broke up. Nothing was going on. I ended up quitting my job thinking that I would have more opportunities. And then it was nothing. I would just stay home. And I got, you know, depressed. Fighting with my parents. So I thought, well, what are you going to do? Either find a job and then just forget music or hit the road. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to come to the States so bad. I grew up on everything American, television shows, records. Oh, really? Television shows too? Mm-hmm. Which I have a funny story about that from when I came to the States, because my favorite series when I was a kid was Dukes of Hazard, <laughs> <laughs> which was not called Dukes of Hazard. What know? is it called? It was called Sheriff. Oh, <laughs> yeah. It's called what? It was called Sheriff Fais-moi peur. So anyway, so, you know, you even grow, that sounds romantic, right? <laughs> so, like, well, so I, uh, I had this vision of everything American, you know, the coolest things were American, the cars, the girls, the music, you know, the thing was birthed here, but how do you wrap your head around, Hey, I'm just going to move to the States and then where New York, LA, Dallas, Austin, Nashville. I just didn't know. So I thought, all right. And this is when Street Smart started. I thought, okay, so a lot of my favorite musicians were English. They come from London or around London Mm -hmm. and they played American music. And I also knew that English bands are popular in America. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, this is the European Union. I don't need a visa to go to London. So if I can make it to Paris, then you can go across the channel and go to London. So I I said, that's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna go to London. So I did. I forgot if I flew there, if I took a train, it's, that's a little blurry, but made my way to London and I figured if I can join an English band, maybe a successful one or, you know, indie band right. type, then I can make it to the States with that English band. And you're 17 now, 18? No, I'm 19. 19. And so I found out real quick that English people do not want French ah. people in their band. Why? Did y'all quit? Because <laughs> we surrender. <laughs> Don't make it pass rehearsal or audition. No, it was, I mean, it was fun and I enjoyed it, but the culture was very much English, which makes sense, right? It's England. So I had a vision of what London was because of Led Zeppelin and Jeff Beck and Clapton, Cream mm-hmm. and all that. But first of all, that was the 60s and 70s, and I was in the late 90s, early 2000s. Right. So it was already a different world. And I just didn't quite click, even though I had a Great time over there. I didn't quite click with uh, the London culture. I did see some cool shows. And one of the shows I saw when I was there I wonder was, what that is, like the culture part where- They're, they're very they, old. They probably want to- Very old countries. I mean, yeah, they, they don't want to get further history. away from American blues. No. They want to get closer. So getting a French guitar player would take them in their brain yeah, they call further us, away. They call us froggies over there. 
thing. We talked you, about. They call you all that over here too. No, they don't call you that. No, to your not face. in front. Of, yeah, not to <laughs> my face. See, I like that better. You know, behind my See, back, I don't care. I don't I'm not with you. Hey, talk Fred, froggy. After <laughs> <laughs> all these years. <laughs> No, so I um, I was there, and it was a great learning experience. It was the first time out of the house, and instead of moving to like the next town over, it was a different country, uh, and you know one of the biggest cities in the world. So I learned real quick how to how to. So there was a few things that I learned while there. Mm-hmm. Had to live with little means. So mm-hmm. finding hostels, that was the best way to do it. Plus, you meet people when you're there. And then, you know, just trying to figure out who was doing what. And uh, Did you ever run into any trouble? No. So hostels are pretty... They're fine. Yeah. But I worked for the hostel because I didn't have money. So I was cleaning uh, toilets and showers. Really? And I found out how dirty people are uh, yeah. by doing that. It's like, is that what people do in their homes? But I had free lodging at the hostel for a while. And, That's killer. And then I ended up working in the kitchen washing dishes. So I ended up having to keep the kitchen. So I would just go at night and go get food. And so it was like a little bit on the Charles Dickens. Oh uh, yeah. You key to the kitchen. So you got to go check yeah. out the At fridge. night I would just grab, you know, a couple of bananas and some bread and, you know. So how'd you make any money? Like how did you save, like how much, how much did it cost to fly over here? Well, I had sold it. I had, see, that's a little blurry at this point because I thought I had sold a guitar to come to the States, but I think I'd sold a guitar to go to, uh, to England and I had a little bit of money left. Um, and, but I only stayed in England for 10 months. Right. Or maybe even less than that. So, but while I was there, I was trying to figure it out musically where, where I was going to go, but I was just a guitar player. So I just wanted to join a band right? that played rock and roll or blues rock or whatever, but I couldn't find that over there. It was all Britpop and all that. Oh, yeah, so the blues scene wasn't happening by that. I mean, there was a blues scene, but like you might find here, maybe like blues jams and stuff like that, right. you know. So anyway, they have the Time Magazine, which is, you know, your Austin Chronicle, whatever. And I will always look for concerts to go to. And then one day I saw a name that caught my attention. It's a band called North Mississippi All-Stars. Oh, yeah. Right, and they were playing at a place called the Garage, I think. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know that place because you went to England before, right? And toured I there. did. We played the uh, Borderline. Borderline. Yeah, that's right. Well, it was in the same neighborhood right there where the clubs are. Yeah, and so I, oh, they're from the states. They're from you know Memphis or you know Mississippi Hill Country. So I got to go see them, but I didn't know who they were. And I get to the show, and they started playing. And I was floored. Luther yeah. Dickinson was on fire that night. And he was playing that slide. Yeah. I mean, I They're literally, good, man. I remember just being slapped in the face really hard. Who's their dad? Uh, Jim Dickinson. Jim Dickinson, that's right. Produced, wrote, and they worked with Rolling Stones and all mm-hmm. that. And I remember at the end of the show, I was so blown away. And I remember I stuck around, which is where I kind of, early on, I started doing that. You know, instead of seeing the show and then... Going on a, yeah, sticking around. So when singing, he's yes. coming out for a drink or whatever. Exactly. So I'm at the bar upstairs when you know general admission people are out, but I'm like, I'm gonna just gonna stick around. I'm just gonna be in a corner. And Noel Gallagher from Oasis was there, so wow. I see him, and he was there with the bass player and a, a guitar player. That's when Oasis was huge. Yeah, huge. And so I saw him, and I went and talked to him, and I said, "How about that show?" You know, it's like 
my, you know, whatever, a few words, nothing. And so I ended up walking with him and, and the, the two guys in the band backstage. So I ended up backstage with Noel Gallagher and the guys from North Mississippi All-Stars. And, uh, you know, I, I forgot, you know, I was just kind of, you know, in the background, but yeah, I, sure. that experience changed me. And then I remember going- Is that the first time you'd been backstage at a band? That, like a real, like yeah. a real deal. And so I remember going back to the hostel that night and, and I looked at my guitar when I got back. Did you, did you talk to the dude, the Luther and them? Yeah, and then when I came to the States, I ended up running into him one time and I mentioned that show. We remember the show and we kind of had a little conversation about that and uh, had his number for a while. But uh, I remember going back to the hostel and I looked at my guitar and my tailcaster with me. And I remember looking at my guitar and I told myself, if I'm going to do this seriously, after what I saw tonight, I better step up my game. And if, if it's any indication on how American musicians play the kind of music I want to play, then I need to, to go to the States. Right, wow. So that night pretty much in my head just made the uh, wheel spin. It's just right, like, I, it, came, it came together. And it's one of those things you can't stop thinking about it. You can't go back to like a day before right. that show. That right. show happened, then it changed, yeah. Those then, kinds uh, of shows change, man. You, you go to, like, all of a sudden the next day you're yelling at your band members. Nothing's good enough. Everything sucks. Y'all I was yelling suck. at me. I thought I was good. After I saw <laughs> it, I'm like, well, <laughs> well, I still got some, you know, yeah, some improving to do. I remember feeling them. that way when I saw Todd. Yeah. When I first time I went on tour with him. When yeah. I was, you know, saw the guys who were closer to my age doing it going, oh, shit. Yeah. You gotta, if you're going to run a marathon, you got to run. Yeah. And and I didn't really see that in LA much when I moved, because that's where I moved from from England. Um, in LA, there was great players, but it was in the rock and roll style. So I was, I, f I fell at home. I saw that in Nashville. When I first went to Nashville, if you go to Station Inn in Nashville on any given night and you get those bluegrass players or whatever, mm -hmm. you're just like, ah, oh, okay, that's a different level. Yeah. But so yeah, so I ended up uh, making. So you got a ticket to LA mm -hmm. for a thousand bucks or no? It was like five hundred bucks back then. Good old days of oh, you cheap flights. Class. <laughs> <laughs> didn't know those existed. And you landed at LAX. Landed at LAX on May first, two thousand one. Yeah, and so I took a little bit of experience from London and applied it to LA, which was find a hostel. Uh huh. And then take it from there. Look at the paper and start answering ads. Stabilize your position. Get HQ. Yeah. Figure out how to then start maneuvering. And you know LA or a lot of American cities. LA is one street, one street. Did one you know where streets. to, what part of town to go find a hostel or were you just? Hollywood. You knew that. <laughs> yeah. So I think I told you before about this banana bungalow and it was, um, by bungalow, he means bungalow. Did I say bungalow? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have any bungalow there, but I'm sure it happens. Yeah. Um, no, and uh, Studio City, I think. Uh -huh. And um, I stayed there for just a couple of days, and then I was like, "Well, I don't have a car. You know, I can't be walking on the side of the highway to get into." Yeah, it's hard to get around. Oh, it's super hard. So I found this hostel a couple of days later that was on top of a liquor store that's right across the street from the Chinese Theater on Hollywood Boulevard. Yeah. It's like a liquor store right and a that pizza place. Hotel. Yeah. Yeah. Right there. And it was like a little, you know, little stairs in between the liquor store and the pizza place. And it was like eight bucks a day. It's perfect. I can picture it. Yeah. Like, it's almost like you go, oh. It was amazing. You walk down Frenchy. the stairs, you see the stars, and it's like, this is it. I made it. <laughs> see Batman or. Yeah. <laughs> Spider Man. Spider Man. It's like a movie. Elvis. Yeah. 
It was brilliant. It was funky. And you know how it is. You go to a new place and you, just the excitement of just being in a place that's new. Well, also, I've stayed at that hotel too. It's like, that's a really cool hotel. Mm -hmm. It's got a little bar. Mm -hmm. yeah. Cool dude. Stay like, you know. Yeah, you can walk in and be the kind of place where you see Noel Gallagher. Hey, remember me? Yeah. In LA, is that kind of place. You know, I discovered real quick, you know, you're going to end up seeing people that you recognize. Well, oh, is that so and so? And so I ended up uh, there. And I had a work, not a work visa, I had a tourist visa, like a visa waiver for like 90 days. So mm -hmm. I had a round trip. I had a one way in, one way out, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I was like, all right, you got 90 days. You can just get a little bit of money, a couple hundred bucks, backpack, guitar. So I was backpacking just like I did in England. Right. So, all right, well, if you're going to try to see what's going on, just pick up the paper. So they have Music Connection magazine. And I would look at ads for guitar players one day. And if I see like na bands and names I recognize, like Black Rose, Lynn Skinner, Guns N' Roses, Rolling Stones. You mean that's what they're playing? Like, yeah, you know, yeah. influenced by so-and-so. So I just I just started picking up the phone and one of the first bands I called was a guy named Joe Firstman. Firstman? Yeah. So his band was called Firstman. And so I called him up and I said, hey, uh, you know, I'm from France. And, you know, so I come out to the audition. And it was... On Hollywood and Vine, where Capitol Records is, and there's right at the corner of Hollywood and Vine is this uh, block of, uh, it's a rehearsal space center, and they have like a hundred rooms. That's like right by Jack's Sugar Shack. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, okay. I don't know. Yeah, so. Where, so where I, all the stars are. Yeah, and so I, I, I met up with him for the audition, and it was like 20 guitar players that showed up. And he was doing a week-long audition. Okay, so-and-so, come back the next day. So-and-so, come back the next day, which was a little much. Whittling it down for a bar band. Yeah. So <laughs> from 20 guitar players, and it happened in the course of thing like four days, whatever, mm -hmm. with a show at the end of the week. And uh, it came down to two guitar players. Me and another guy that you might know of named Slim. Slim ended up playing guitar for Lady Annabellum. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was in L.A. <laughs> So it came down to me and Slim. Dude with the braids, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was awesome, by the way. I was thinking about him today on the way here. I was thinking about all that stuff. And I haven't talked to him in a while, but. What's up, Slim? Yeah, Slim. What's up? So. He's Lady A now. Right. Lady A. <laughs> <laughs> and so we go and play the show. And Slim and I on stage. I forgot where we played, but. Uh, and then we all go back to the rehearsal space because they had a party going on. So we're drinking, these girls, we're jamming, and I'm playing and getting boozed up, and I'm playing Whipping Post on Brothers. You know, right. Just jamming, 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 and whatever. And then I just stop playing for a while, and this guy comes up to me, and he goes, uh, hey, I'm Lex. I said, cool. And he goes, uh, what's your deal? So, uh, you know, just playing guitar. I'm from France, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, cool. And he goes, well, he goes, I play in the best rock and roll band in LA and we're going to be as big as Guns N' Roses. <laughs> I love LA. <laughs> I was like, oh, you are? <laughs> like right out of a movie. Right. So you wouldn't believe somebody would say that. Oh, it was, I mean, he was straight up like, you know, I, I, we're going to be big. We're going to be as big as Guns N' Roses. So I'm like, oh, you got my attention. What's going on? What? <laughs> and I got the gig with First Man that night. Mm -hmm. So I was going to play with him. He had like manager. Did you take you and Slim? No, I got the gig. Oh, you got the gig. Slim. Slim, Slim Pickens. Yes. <laughs> Slim did get the gig. And I'm talking, it's like two in the morning. 
right on a Saturday night. And so Lex goes, hey, man, so, well, have you heard of Waylon Jennings? And I go, no. You'd never heard of Waylon Jennings at that point? Mm-mm. Wow. It was all rock and roll and blues at home. Johnny Cash was the only name that, you know, if you're not into country music that you would uh, recognize. I go, no. He goes, all right. And he goes, well, have you heard of Dukes of Hazzard? <laughs> See where this is going? That's the, re- yeah, your favorite TV show. <laughs> favorite TV show. And I go, no. He's like, hold on a second. You haven't, he goes, just a good old boy. I go, oh yeah, Sheriff and Wapel, you know. <laughs> so, you know, I didn't know the name of it. I said, oh cool, he's good. Well, I played for, played with Sun Shooter, you know, it's Ben called Stargun. I was like, oh, no kidding. So I was, I was drawn towards what he had to say. Of course. You know, so he called Shooter up. Shooter was out and about. And what I didn't know is that the guitar player had given his notice and was about to move back to Nashville. Oh, he was wow. still in the band. They hadn't looked for a guitar player yet. Mm-hmm. So Lex, who's a businessman, knew not, you know, I didn't know what was going was Lex on. Lex the manager or something? No, but he was always, you know, he always had an eye on the business side of things. So he wasn't going to let me go. I didn't know that. So Shooter shows up. We meet. We go to their rehearsal space. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So at 2, 3 in the morning, here we are in Shooter's studio, recording studio, I mean, a rehearsal space mm-hmm. slash recording studio. And we got to playing. He p- picked up a bass and Lex was on drums and Lex was like, come on, you know, shred, you know. Right. So I'm just. Come on, make me look good. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm playing and, you know, doing the whole thing. And they're like, so where are you staying? I said, well, at a hostel down, down the street. And they go, no, you're not. I go, okay, well, because you, you're coming with us. You, you're going to play in, in Star again. So three, four in the morning at that point, I don't know. We go by the hostel. I go pick up my bag and I'm moving to the band house that night. <laughs> oh, shit. And started everything. Oh, the next day I had to tell uh, first man, like, you know. I was about to say, when did you break it? Till, till- I think it was the next day or two days later. I, I think I went to lunch with him and I was like, man. I'm, and actually first man got mad at Shooter. He mentioned it because he ended up being a... a uh, he had like a house band for a talk show. Um, I was trying to remember the name. First man did? Yeah, for a late, late night show. Daily, what was his name? Uh, uh, Carson Daly. Is that Carson Daly? Mm-hmm. That show he had it like after Conan O'Brien? Yes. So yeah. he ended up being the house band for that guy, but he was mad at Shooter for a while because they were friends afterwards. But you stole my guitar player, you know? And it's like, hey, you know, yeah. I had a say in it. <laughs> You know, that was a better offer anyway. Right, you can't steal people. So <laughs> I woke up, I woke up in the, in the, in the band house the, ver- the, the next day and, you know, that started the whole the 20 years. Wow, being man. here. That just shows, <laughs> like, people would call that lucky or blessed or whatever, but it's also, that kind of shit started years ago when you decided, when you first said, hmm. I'm going that way. Yeah. And you just kind of rely on the universe to pretty much to provide stuff for you. And it's like, it's funny how if you know where you're going, even if it's a million miles away, you'll get there. Well, and there was a sense of urgency also because, you know, I knew some people in my hometown that I never left. Mm-hmm. And uh, a friend of my dad's who's a bass player, he told me when I left for England, he said, you know, if I was your age, I'd go with you. He never left. 
So it's I, funny, man. The first part <laughs> of your career is just like a cliche of a movie of a band that's just starting. Mm-hmm. With the line, we're, we're going to be bigger than what if, Roses. What if I left a month later? Go, go, go find your, spread your wings. Yes. What if I left a month later? I wouldn't have played with Shooter. And yeah, who knows? Who knows? But everything fell into place because I remember we talked about this. You know, I said, hey, look, this is the deal. I need to get paperwork. I'm only here for a few months. I need to get a work work visa. visa. Yeah. I need to get a work visa. I cannot work. Not that I wanted to work, but (laughs) I said Mm -hmm. I cannot work, so I need a place to stay. So basically, Shooter kind of took care of me, you know, don't worry about the rent, you know, and I call my dad. We'll figure it out, the paperwork. So when he told his dad, Waylon, and his mom, Jesse, so in your mind, you're sitting there talking to Shooter, who's the son of the narrator of your favorite TV show from as you're a kid. Yeah. And now he's going to call that guy, and that guy's going to help you get, figure out. I bet you were freaking. I bet you were like. It was exciting. It What's was, going on? Everything was a million miles an hour. And so when you told his parents, you know, they said, well, that's great. You know, well, how about you guys come for a weekend, and we can get to meet him and. So we went over to their house in Chandler, Arizona. We drove there and spent a weekend at Wayland's house. And that was in early July of 2001. So wow. it was a couple of months after, you know, staying in a hostel. You get to meet Jesse Coulter too. Yeah. Was just, Were you aware of her at all? No, but real quick. I mean, you know, yeah. Shooter is like, hey, here's the albums. <laughs> Check it out. And I fell in love with Wayland's music and Jesse's music right away too. So, so we go there and... Uh, we spent the weekend, and on Saturday night, we went out, and, you know, Will and Jesse stayed home, and I got drunk. We all got drunk. Imagine that. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, we, it, it was full house. It was band members, family members, so I ended up sleeping on the couch. Uh, uh, Stargun? Yeah. So, you all went down as a band. hmm And so, I slept on the couch, and this was, that's where Jesse had a, a piano, Mm-hmm. And Waylon had that J200 guitar mm-hmm. sitting on the stand. And uh, it's Sunday morning. I smell food, like bacon and all that stuff, you know. <laughs> Jesse's cooking, right? I smell food. And then I hear music. My head is pounding. I'm like, I'm hungover. So I'm in the covers. I'm like trying to, you know, look at what's going on. Father, we're playing the, you know, stereo. And I look up and it's Waylon and Jesse sitting at the piano singing. Wow. And everybody else is in the rooms and stuff. I'm on the couch. And I'm, you know, my feet are dangling out. I'm looking and I'm like, well, this is crazy. You know, when I saw the magic, I understood what was going on. Mm-hmm. Like when I met Waylon, I knew he was not a regular human. <laughs> you know, he had He's got aura. a name on his shirt. You know, regular dude. Right, exactly. But I, I saw that, you know, and it was cool. You know, they, they loved me. They adopted me pretty much. They said, you know, you're part of the family. See, what, what were they singing? Do you remember? I think they sang like Storms Never Last and I don't know what else. I think they only sang a couple of songs. But you woke up to two of the most iconic figures. Yeah. And by the time we were there, I knew what was up because, you know, I I studied real quick. Right. So, and a few things that were kind of crazy, had like, you know, like you have here, you know, like, you know, things from the past and stuff. And he had like a letter from John Lennon saying how much he loved Waylon. And I'm like, this is crazy. Um, That's unbelievable, man. And uh, I remember he had this motorcycle on a podium in the house. 
It's like an aerial motorcycle from the 50s. A real motorcycle? Mm -hmm. on, a, on a what? On a podium, like, you know, on a stand. And so I, I was looking at it and I was curious and I asked Waylon. So that's me asking him, not Jesse or Shoot or whatever. I asked Waylon, I said, whose motorcycle is this? And he goes, oh, that's Buddy's. And I go, Buddy who? He goes, looks at me, you know, <laughs> French guy. He goes, Holly, Buddy Holly. I, I just kind of, you know. Because you didn't know any of his history. You just knew the well, records he made. Well, I knew, well, no, I knew he had played for, for, for Buddy. Oh, you did? Yeah, I knew, I knew that. And so I took a picture on it because it's just like you're at home, like make yourself at home. So I had, still have the pictures of me on Buddy Holly's motorcycle. And I'm thinking, this is rock and roll history. Yeah. Because country music is also rock and roll history. They're That's both right. related. And so after that, you know, wrote me a letter for immigration and got work visas and whatnot. Right. Um, and played with Shooter for a couple of years. And, and I remember, so I had my telecaster, right? And she was like, well, we got to have that Guns N' Roses sound. And I said, I love that. And he goes, you know, like a Les Paul. I'm thinking, well, that's a couple of grand. Mm -hmm. So I said, well, I'm not going to sell my telly to buy a Les Paul. I don't know what to do. And he goes, I'll call my dad. <laughs> so. You got a Les Paul hanging around the house? <laughs> no. So when? Being left-handed, you know. So, yeah. so Waylon ended up calling Gibson and said, I need a left-handed Gibson Les Paul shipped to that address. And so one morning I wake up and Shooter goes, dude, come to the living room. I said, what? And it was a Gibson case and I opened it up and it was from Waylon. And he had bought me, or I don't know if you paid for it, but it's Waylon, right? But he had gotten me a Gibson Les Paul. And that's all and within the I first- I don't get jealous very often, man. That's <laughs> well, it's wild, right? It's, uh, but I knew I was lucky. I knew I had a, you know, not hit the jackpot because that sounds, you know, a little weird, but I knew I was Well, the only thing that didn't, introduced, come, true, the only thing didn't come true was Stargun wasn't bigger than Guns N' Roses. <laughs> right. What happened there, man? Was it like, did you dig the music? Yeah, because I got to write with Shooter. Mm -hmm. You know, I wasn't writing lyrics, but I was writing guitar riffs. And Why didn't that work? Just because? Same reason other things don't work? Uh, I think there's a few reasons for that. Because I remember it took me a while to, because that was my world for two years, Stargun. And, yeah. then, and then it broke up. And then I'm like, what am I going to do? So it took me a while to get around, you know, the, the concept of it. But I think really at the end of the day, that was Shooter's high school band. You know, he started he it at the end of high school yeah. and then moved to L.A. But then he, he got better and then he got, you know, to find yeah, himself. Really. And yeah. so that's when he went solo. Right. And so it was time to put that aside. But we remained friends and everything. That's when I moved to Texas to go play with Wade. Right. How'd uh, you know you were going to play with Wade? Like, how'd you connect with him? Well, that happened kind of, it was like circumstantial. So Lex uh, and Carter Falco, guitar player, they're both uh, from Waco. So they grew up with Wade. So Lex was helping uh, Wade to, to uh, mix that live at Blue Light. Falco the drummer? Uh, uh, Carl Falco was a guitar player and Lex Lipsitz was the drummer. And okay. so Lex was helping uh, Wade producing that uh, Live at Blue Light mm -hmm. album. And so I shouldn't probably saying that, but that's all right. So when they got the recordings back, the band wasn't that great. So mm -hmm. Wade is like, well, we need maybe to add a couple more guitars on that live album. So I added some guitars on that album. Right. And so then... While you were in LA? Yeah. So... Then when Stargun broke up and Wade, I get got got wind of that, he uh, told Lex, "Well, maybe we can, you know, see if you know Kevin, not French yet, <laughs> wants to come down to Texas and maybe play some shows with us to kind of, you know, 
help the band a little bit. So I did, because I had nothing in LA. Right. And I didn't want to stay there anymore too, because I had toured with Stargun. We'd gone to Texas and back, and I saw the rest of America. Right. I mean, LA is very American, but it's also LA. It's easy to just stay there and never get out of it. Right. So I kind of, you know, I'm being from South France, small, small town, you know, I was just kind of feel like more like a regular guy, like the whole like fancy parties and stuff. I I went to those because, you know, shooter will go and somebody else will go and it was fun, but I was just like, I don't want to do that. I want to just play, you know? Right. So, you know, in LA, you don't play that often, you know? Yeah, it's more. Oh, they promote one show and they go. Style over substance. Yeah, and I, I love the road. That's what I wanted to do is to be on the road. So I came down here and played with Wade, and that's when we met. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I kind of, you know, did a couple of different things. Cause, oh, yeah, because I had work visas, right? So I had to renew them every so often. So how long did how long did they last? At first, it was year to year, and mm-hmm. it's a six-month process. So I was literally continuously working on, and you have to be employed. And you have to show proof of doing something that's special. So when I was playing with Wade, we were playing bars and he wasn't, you know. Right, he wasn't. Like now. His so career just started. I was thinking, I was like, well, I'm going to show that to immigration, you know, played in St. Angelo in some bar. They're going to be like. Mm. <laughs> we played Blaine's Pub. What, what, right, what? <laughs> you know, I loved it. I thought it was special. <clears throat> but to immigration and you show, you know, little money that you're making, I was thinking, all right, okay, I'm having fun. But also you got to be careful because you can get kicked out. Right. So I contacted some people in LA and ended up playing for a band called Rock and Roll Soldiers that right. was signed on Atlantic Records. And with Atlantic Records, I ended up getting a three-year visa. But the way things happen, I only played with them for a year because the band got uh, dropped. Wow. Like a lot of bands do. So when the band broke up, I was back in LA, kind of square one, and I thought, what am I going to do? So that's when I came back to Texas. But I had two years left on my visa. So, so that, you'd already gone and played some gigs with Wade. Then, then back to back, LA. Then that band broke up and you're like, oh shit. Yeah. So did you call Wade back up? No, no, no. I I stayed in LA for a little while and then things kind of went south. Meaning I had no gig. Meaning your girlfriend broke up with you? No, that was <laughs> the whole, you remember the, the um, girl from Phoenix story? The, oh yeah. The, oh, that happened then? Yeah. So I was freaking out because I wasn't making any money. I had a child on the way. And I was like, what am I going to do? You thought you had a child. I thought I had a child, right. So um, now we don't need to get into that <laughs> too much in details. But, you know, I, I was, I was shit, shit, shit is getting serious. And I can't be playing in bands just to, to play in bands. I need to, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to have to be in a real professional. Uh, in a band. Band, you know, the real deal. Well, how do you go about it? And I was broke. And so what happens sometimes when you're broke is you tend to party more than usual. Mm-hmm. So I was in Venice Beach hanging out with some characters. I mean, I wasn't getting in trouble, but maybe I was doing it a little much right. of everything. And then one day I freaked out and I called my parents. I said, I'm coming home. I'm freaking out. Like, I, I don't want to be here anymore. I'm not going to be able to take care of that kid. I'm broke. I'm, you know, hurting right. myself. I love to run out. Yeah. And so my parents had the best advice. They said, well, you can come back, but if you come back, your visa is going to run out. And then that's it. Said, they go, you remember when you played in Texas? And I said, yeah. They go, do you remember hanging out with Ragweed and Stoney or meeting you and everybody? I said, yeah. 
They go, well, why don't you call people up again? And they go, maybe you can go back to Austin. And even if you don't play for one of those guys, you can at least find maybe a cover band and, you know, play on the weekends and get a small place and then figure it out. And then if you still want to come home, then of course we miss you, your only child. And I thought, because I couldn't think of it on the spot because I was in it so deep that I needed that that advice from, I was like, I didn't think of that. I was like, that's a good, and you know. (laughs) Hello? Yeah, it's Frenchie. French fry, forever, forget me not freedom, Fresco. (laughs) Fuck you, Froggy. Yeah, that guy. Yeah, no. Oh, yeah, that's right. You know Miss Froggy. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. <laughs> oh my God. Sorry about that. But no, that's so fine. anyway. No, so I so I had a I finally had a little hope. Where'd you live when you got to Austin? <laughs> so hold on, I got just to put, put things. Uh, hear me out now. Hear me out. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, Drew? And so no, I when I was in LA that summer, so it's 2006, and without the band and everything, I came to see you play at Whiskey A Go Go. Oh. Yeah. And I talked to John Mike, I think, yeah. And so I came to see you, and uh, Taylor Swift was opening up for you acoustic that night. It's like a radio show. Yeah, I remember. I remember like it was yesterday. So they, last, had hail, they had hay bales. Yes. On the, on the, I remember on the that. I was like, well, that's odd in LA, you know, right off the Sunset Strip. And, so I remember, I don't know if I talked to you, but I talked to Peter a little bit and then John Mike, I knew him pretty well. Um, and so that stayed with me. I think it was like August of, of 2006 and that stayed with me. So I went through like basically early 2007 and I, I was like, you know, that was a killer show, you know? And so the one person, the first person that I contacted was uh, Django Walker. You picked the wrong fucking band. You should have gotten in a Taylor Swift's band. I couldn't do it. I couldn't, <laughs> no, I couldn't do it. I'm kidding, but it's funny. Hair, I don't know. This is just. She rocks, man. No, she's great. She killed it. Yeah. She's great, but yeah. It's funny when you say she opened for me because I tell my kids that. They're like, no way. And she was like, what, 16 then? Yeah, something like that. 16, 17. So anyway, so by February of 2007, that's when I had my freak out and everything. Mm -hmm. So I called Django Walker. I called Django and I see what he was up to, you know? And uh, you go, oh, I'm you know about to, to play some shows and do this and that. You know, why don't you come come to Austin? You knew Django from from Wade and all that. And all, you know, yeah, a couple of years back. So I was like, that was my way in back into Austin. So I go stay with Django. He had his own place. And uh, was that in the back of Jerry Jeff's house? No, but I did stay there too. I had a, the opportunity to spend a couple of afternoons with Jerry Jeff. That's great. Thing one time, I think he was a little bored because he wouldn't let me go. I was in this music room, you know, and showing me guitars and stuff. Yeah, he was great. And uh, so the whole plan was to start a band with Django or to start with him. And I think time-wise, what was going on, Masterson was going with Sunvolt and Mm. you guys were looking for a guitar player. In 2007? Yeah, Yeah. 2007. And my name came up. Now, I didn't know that was going on. So Drew contacted Casey Twist and Twist got a hold of me right before I left L.A., Telling me that, you know, there was a chance for an audition with you. Right. But it was my last weekend. So that night I got tore up. So I didn't even remember talking to Casey anyway. So I came to Austin not knowing, not remembering <laughs> that it was a chance auditioning for you. And so we got a hold, I don't know how we got a hold of each other, but I do remember you called me. 
Yeah. They go, hey, man, this is Jack. I'm like, Jack, <laughs> you know, it's Jack who? I mean, I think because right. I didn't know because I forgot that, you know, um, that you were going to contact me. And uh, So when I saw you playing with Wade, that was during the couple gigs that you played with him. You weren't like with him a long time. I played with him like for almost a year. Then you went back to LA? Yeah. Okay, I got you. So that was like 2003, so 2004, time, 2004, 2005. Yes. So I've been a couple of years. Mm-hmm. So so I remember Django was going to play some basketball or something and I was sitting in the house and no, and yeah, I had the audition, that's right. So I went to the audition and I thought, what? It's like, well, all right. I said, Jack is the real deal. You know, I knew that you had the label and everything. Right. Number one, I was thinking, well, I'm pretty rough on the edges. You know, got the one Vox amp, mm-hmm. the one, you know, SG or whatever I had at the time. It was at SG. Yeah, and I was back, uh, you know, like the first day, backpack and guitar, an amp. Right. So upgrade. And crashing on the couch, you know. So it's like, well. And then I listened to the album, This Is It. And I loved every song, but I was thinking, man, like, you know, you could hear the, the production and the layers. sounds. A lot of layers. And I wasn't going to bullshit you so i remember i showed up the edition and i thought well it's awesome it's going to be like 20 guitar players and i show up and there's nobody it's just me all right so i was like well this is kind of weird i wonder if jack is an asshole wants to work for you. <laughs> so i show up and drew and pete you know pete, hey buddy you know just cool and hanging and so you showed up and we played a couple of songs from the album and then i think we did uh was it dim lights it I was think? dim lights okay we did dim lights and then you had to go pick up the kids, mm-hmm. right? So I wanted to say something to you before you left. And this is what came out of my mouth. I said, hey, Jack, you know, yeah, what's up? And I go, I go, I would love to play for you. You know, if, if you have me in your band, I'll be professional, you know, no drama. So you, you started know. off lying to me. Right. <laughs> it was all bullshit. <laughs> no, but I remember telling you this, but I did tell you, I said, but if you're looking for a guitar player that's going to sound like the album, then you're better off. Either hiring the guys from the album or a Nashville guy because I'm not going to be your, you know, not going to be your guy. So you go, all right, cool, and then <laughs> built it out. I was like, oh shit, what the hell is wrong with me? Like you know, just be like, oh yeah, whatever. You need that sound, you know. Yeah. But I was such a raw guitar player that I didn't want to lie to you, and then being over my right. head with the gig. Right. So I said, all right, well, I just lost that gig. That's great. And then Drew goes, you know. A little while after that, I was still at the rehearsal space there, and he goes, "So what you doing?" You know, I was like, well, "I don't know. I'm just hanging out with a jingle, so I got no plans." He goes, "Well, want to get on the bus and go on the road?" I was like, "Yeah." Cha-ching. So John, Mike, and Pete in the rental car went by Django's, and Django was at the house, and he goes, "What are you doing?" And I said, "Well, I'm uh, going on the road, with Jack." He goes, "Oh," because I didn't really tell him what was going on. Right. And so, I, if I remember correctly, you had a two-week run through like Colorado and stuff, and then we end up in Nashville. And Masterson was finishing up the run, right. but you had an audition in Nashville, a second audition, and that was I think the label had put that audition together for you. Right. So I was on the road, and I remember I was practicing the songs during the day. I would watch the show at night to see what Masterson was doing, and then you would get me up on stage for Bobby Doll, Love You, and and. I was having a blast, you know, mm-hmm. but it was getting along and I was getting the, the understanding of everything worked and I was all excited. And then we get to Nashville 10 days later and it dawned on me. I'm like, oh shit, that's the Nashville audition. 
He's going to pick up, he's going to pick a guy from Nashville. <laughs> I'm going to be in Nashville, <laughs> you know. Nowhere to get home. Be a Hazy or Graham bus ticket back to Austin and then back to square one. And, uh, and so Drew got on the bus that day and he goes, all right, guys, I got an announcement to make. And you were doing like, you know, whatever you do, press, meetings and stuff. You yeah. did. I mean, you were running all over the place. And I was pretty nervous that day. And he goes, all right, got a big announcement to make. Uh, auditions are canceled and it's going to be a rehearsal. And he turns around to me and goes, welcome to the van. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody hugged me. I was like, say, man, I don't remember having that ever here. I would have not wanted that. Yeah. I mean, I was, those, those guys in Nashville, they can play and they can do all those layers and all that shit. But I, I'm just like, well, yeah, you know, like, you know, that's why we played dim lights. That's kind of, every time I've had a rehearsal, we'll do whatever the, hits are or whatever the songs are and then piano player billy nobel yeah you we, it's like let's play let's play something real simple that they don't know well but, you had you had jay jackson that played pedal steel he showed up at the rehearsal and he was in the band but i remember oh, so that's maybe that what that rehearsal was about yeah because yeah because we were going on the road with brad paisley mm-hmm. and Borchetta told me that you I had to have a pedal steel I player. To country it up. <laughs> I remember that conversation. Really? Yeah. 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 Right. I was mm. like, well, I've always loved pedal steel players, but yeah, and Jay showed up. But I remember. So we we went for the Brad Paisley tour. Huh? Mm-hmm. You sure about? No, I think we came back because I think the first show that I played was the Houston Rodeo because Rascal Flatts had to cancel. Oh, wow. I think. And then and, and then we went on to do the Brad Paisley tour. Yeah. But we had a show in New Braunfels at uh, River Road Ice House. And I think it was one of the first shows. And I was still, you know, I had the gig, but I was thinking, well, now it's your time to do your thing, you know. And we had the talk back mic and ear, earbuds. And you went on to the mic and Jay was not like, on keep on keeping on. Like he, I mean, he was playing some parts, but he was not getting into it. I kept looking over at his bare feet. Yeah, that was, yeah, I knew that. You didn't like that. And he had that volume pedal. I'd see him when it was his time to shine, he'd pull it off. Yeah. And like go mm-hmm. pull it down. I was like, you, what are you doing? This is, no, that's not how you do it. We turn it up. Well, you told him in a, in a talkback mic, middle, keep on keeping on. Hey, this ain't Nashville, mother. You know, this is Texas. You better step it up. And you were pretty, I mean, you were not mad, but you were like, you got into it. Like, hey, well, man. Well, if you're this a pedal is... steel player in Texas, like. Yeah, and it was a big crowd, you know. Yeah. And so I'm hearing this whole conversation between you and Jay, and I'm like, oh, shit, my butt cheeks got a little tight, you know, and it's my turn for the solo. So I did extra for the keep on keeping on. So I'm like, oh, God, I don't want to get that, you know, talking uh, on stage. That's but, funny. And then, yeah, and so. And it was like a rebirth for me because I felt that everything that had happened before I started playing with you, including the hard times, in itself was like a lifetime, if not two or three, condensed mm-hmm. in a few years. But it was like, all right, I'm here to stay. This is this is going to happen, and this is the next level. And you know, never been on tour bus before. It was great. Yeah, you know. But you know, and playing with Brad Paisley and then all the people we met. People liked me on the road, you know. It was I was always cool with everybody. And yeah, man. I mean, it was a cool community. You get people. up and sit in with guys we were playing with and play mm-hmm. their right-handed guitars upside down with Dirks. With Dirks, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember thinking that guy's got some balls, man. Yeah, it's just so cool. That's what I mean. Like your whole life is 
Because it the only way it worked from the time I left home was to just do it, you know, just that's the way be it, there. That's the way it works for anybody. Yeah, and still to today. So I just kind of applied it every time, and every time it worked, and and it was highs and lows. But it can only, I mean, it cannot be highs all the time. So I right. was ready for the lows, and then you go back to the highs, and then a second time lows. Like, oh, I've done this. I've done this before. It's uncomfortable, but you know, you pull through, and then you right. just, and then you learn and you live anyway, right? You live it. Yeah, I mean, like, the only way to make it in this, probably in any world, yeah, is to throw yourself into situations where you where you can fail miserably. Yeah, because your instincts kick in. Yeah, and at the end of the day, all I wanted to do was play guitar. Yeah, but from so that was 2007 when we started playing together, and then I saw you writing. And then I was paying attention to what you talked about. He was talking about you know Guy Clark, and I knew to an extent. But I enjoyed watching you watching you on the road pick up a guitar on a bus whenever you had time because they always had you running around, of course. Right. But, you know, you always take time to do something. And then the other bands, you know. Mm. And then I ended up moving to Nashville pretty much right away. Um, and then I saw a lot of cool cats in Nashville, too. When did so, you start writing songs? So I started, I think it was like 2009. You'd never written a song before that? Well, I or always... Instrumental stuff? Yeah. Like, I always had, like melodies and you know chord progressions with you know my picking stuff in it you know and mm -hmm. but it's only because of you know you and other people that i respected mostly, in the song. mostly you yeah of course <laughs> yeah. but you know i discovered through what you know you know through your you know your musical you know knowledge right then i will go and dig myself and then so so then once i well don't forget also that it was the the language barrier yeah, man. You're, so, you're still dreaming in French at that point. Sure, right? You know, it's just one of those things. So even like translating sometimes certain things, you know. So I think it's by the time I actually just started thinking in English and just doing all that and just not thinking about the language that I was able to appreciate lyrics. Yeah. Because I grew up listening to uh, English spoken music, but I never paid attention to lyrics. Right. Only melodies and hooks. So I got that. So when I finally, you know, write some of the lyrics, like, oh, okay, that's interesting, Beatles stuff and, mm -hmm. you know, but uh, so I think I fell in love with that songwriter stuff, you know. Is that when you started hanging out at the station in? And yeah. Seeing those guys and yeah. caliber of music and songs. Mm -hmm. that's, a, that's, a, that's a steep cliff. Yeah, and uh, but I always, but it was always in the background for me. Like I never went too crazy over it. Meaning that you know, I knew my place, so I would just pay attention. That's why I like JJ Kale and you know, Tony Joe White and mm. stuff like. Because it's like bluesy. Always like if as long as it's bluesy, I can relate to it. As long as it's simple. Like I love Dylan, but if I sat down, I couldn't write that kind of yeah. that kind of you know. I'm not that kind of person. But JJ Kale, yeah, you know, it's blues. It's got that you know. Oh yeah, repetitive like you know the blues guys. You repeat line and then you go for the thing. And right. So so naturally, I just started writing songs that were very much just like you know I had one called Mama Sweet Mama, and it's just basically based on the blues thing. And and I never really stopped, but I I was thinking about it, you know, recently, even today on the drive up here from Abilene, uh, <laughs> from LA to Abilene. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and I was thinking about it in a sense that you know a lot of people uh, you decide who you are you become 
what you are like you know what you do every day defines you know over time what you are that's right and so i still think about it like people people ask you what kind of music do you play i don't play blues right i don't play rock and roll but i don't play country either you know and so but then people say well i'm a singer songwriter and i cannot quite say it yeah it's like I guess so. What does it take? I don't know. When is when is it going to be comfortable to say it? Because the way I see it is I write songs and I believe you got to go sing your songs, but I'm not a singer per se. You know, I'm not. Uh, uh, well, I, I find myself saying that all the time. Too. Like I'm not songster. really a singer. I'm not really a singer. Right. But every time I say that, it's not true. I am a singer. You are a singer, yeah. And so are you. And so I am. Like so you're a singer-songwriter and a guitar player. But I always kind of maybe that's or just whichever's maybe, first. Maybe being a budhead because guitar was first. I like to say that I'm a guitar player by trade, and then I grew into writing songs. But I don't write songs because it's a cool thing to do. Because I, I'll write four or five songs in a row because I get this like thing, you know. Yeah, I mean, I get it. You play guitar for a living. Yeah. I mean, I pay you to play so. in my band. Oh, you pay me? I thought <laughs> I was doing it for exposure. <laughs> That's what Kevin says all the time. Yeah, it's kicking in soon. Yeah, no. Um, so but it's, it's, you, I, had, I understand what you're saying. On a pragmatic level, you you get paid to play guitar for a living, but you put out two records. Right. You're making another one. Yeah. Under Frenchie's Blues Destroyers. Yeah. Well, the new one's gonna be uh, it's gonna be called Me and My Guitar. There you go. Just acoustic. It's gonna be seven, eight songs, and um, I'm actually inspired by the Marfa tapes because you guys recorded some of the songs kind of like on your phone and everything. Yeah. I went in a studio in Fort Worth recently, right before I left town. And, and I had this idea of it, like, you know, like back in the seventies, they always had like chorus pedals on their guitars, even acoustics. So I didn't mind it. Mind it that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. So I that's put, killer. well, it did in the studio, I thought. And then I listened back to it and it's just like, ah, you know, I don't think this is right. And what I did, and it's probably the wrong way to do it. I recorded the guitar parts and then I stood in front of the mic and sang over my guitar track. Oh, so right. when I listen to it, it's not quite right. Yeah. So I kind of got inspired by the whole like, why don't you record on your yeah, phone? Yeah, if you're gonna do it just by yourself, I think. I mean, I would rather hear you play with mistakes and a all. performance. That's right. If I if it's not flowing exactly right, or you know, you hear looking, it's fine. So I did it on my phone the other day, and it was a whole different world. I was like, this is great. Yeah. It's like you got a little garage band style. The song gets a little, gets a it's breath got, inside of it. It's got life to it. So I'm, I'm just going to do that. I'm going to take my time. I might like like tonight after the show at the hotel room, just maybe try. So I've been recording the same songs so kind of like over and over, not to get a better take, but just see if it sounds different or maybe yeah, on man. the road be different. And so, and just put it out. I mean, there's so many people putting music out that, you know, I just want to. So that's what I mean. So if you were wondering when you could call yourself a singer songwriter, you can. All that's right. What, that's what singer songwriters do. They fuck with their songs and yeah. play them by themselves and say, then play them in front of somebody and go, oh, I need to change that. It didn't go over. Like, that's what, that's the trade. All right. Well, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it that's is. It. It's really cool to watch the, the evolution of, of, your songwriting and your singing, especially because right, yeah, the singing like the guys from London. Mm. It's hard to, you know, when you when you listen when you used to hearing Guy Clark, it's hard to hear a French guy singing singing. A, well, it's not hard to hear anybody that's great. It's just it's not. You were young. You hadn't sung really. And no, and I didn't about think about it so, when I started. We didn't think about it because well, I got spoiled. They had Robert Kearns. 
going like, you know, on stage. Yeah. And then, then Billy was singing really good. And then when Robert left, we had Casey he coming in. He can sing. So it was one of those deals where hey, they're doing it. So I'll just be the the, the rock and roller over, over there. And then I remember Casey left and then John Mack came back and we didn't have Billy. And I remember we had like a couple of weeks break. So whenever that was, mm -hmm. 2010 or 11. And I remember the next show, we had a break for two or three weeks. And I remember the next show was at Billy Bob's. And one day I woke up like a week before the show and I had a freak out because I'm like, hold on a second. It's Pete, John, Mike, you and I, mm -hmm. so four piece. Nobody sings. I was like, this is going to be weird. This is not going to be that great. So then I was like, well, shit, I got to do it. So I remember I sat down with the recordings. I knew the songs, so that was easy. I just had to practice. So I practiced. I didn't really pay attention. And then that show started singing. And I, I think I remember like, you went like, like oh, okay. <laughs> you well, know? It's a trip, man, because learning how to sing harmony vocals is, can be really daunting because it's such a... But that's when the Beatles come in hard thing handy to for yeah, me. But yeah, because I grew up on learned it really quickly. Yeah, it was kind of almost like a nature to do harmonies. And so, but then, so that was like, you know, 10 years ago. And then since then, I started playing shows, started writing, did a couple of recordings. Mm -hmm. And it naturally just kind of became better. And I enjoy it. I enjoy singing. Well, you're good at it. Yeah, it's, it's fun. And uh, now the, the thing that's hard, I don't know if you have that. Sometimes I have a, a issue remembering my own lyrics. Like, I don't know what it is. Some songs I write them and then I remember them. Some I, I just gotta, I don't know if there's like a trick to, to get there. The trick for me is having a good tour manager sing out the first line. <laughs> Every time I forget well, the words, if I can get the first word of the first verse or yeah. whatever I'm missing, just one little trigger, it comes up completely. Well, it's a different muscle memory too, because I think when you play guitar and just guitar for so long, that's one, a muscle mm. and singing words is a different one and then also I know on stage I do it often I just think about random stuff yeah you see something in the crowd or you think that's when I forget shit too and then that's when you're like oh you gotta snap back into it so it's kind of like you gotta be disciplined a little bit no matter how many shows you've done you know well that's so. the beauty of writing your own songs <laughs> yeah is that if you write songs that you love yeah about your life or whatever they're, like they're yeah. coming from the inside of your soul then when you're playing them, you get you you you're fully invested, and you that's right. You get to live it, so you you can't concentrate on something else. That's right. It's a it's a trip. I mean, that's the that's the magic. Like, and that's what takes you back to to writing always like new songs and everything, because there's there's like steps to it, and then there's that sense of. I remember Billy Joe Shaver, I think, talked about it. He said he, I don't think he liked finishing a song because he liked the, the the process of writing something. So he would take his time with songs because he knew that once he finished it or thought it was finished, yeah. then the, the, the fun wasn't there anymore. And it's got to go and sing it. Yeah. It's like a, a cat playing with a mouse. You know, it's like that, they don't go for the kill. They for just me, play just with every it for time, Every time I, even when I write a song, it, it's like, if I, the, the most discipline that I have to have is, not just letting a line work, uh -huh. but waiting, keep messing with it, keep putting extra lines on, keep keep reworking that line until I get the chills. Right. And then I know the line works. But that's something you know inside of you. Yeah, you, yeah, that's you, you know fun. when you know. Yeah, yeah because fun. that's where you go, oh. Yeah. It's like this, I imagine it's probably just like a drug. 
Yeah, it is. Yeah, I mean, it's like a little high. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm thinking, like you know, with everything that's been going on recently, with like you know, living Fort Worth, moving to Abilene, because I haven't written in a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, last, uh, so the best songs I'm gonna record, I wrote them like around Thanksgiving of last year, so downtime, holidays. It's always a good time to write, especially because I'm away I got from a song family. For you. What? You said it earlier. You said everything American. Everything American. You were talking about growing up listening to music. Yeah. And oh, I like that. Everything. Um, you said no, 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 everything American. You know, I thought. That's a song you can write. Oh, that only you can write. True. I mean, with the perspective, with the perspective of, of why it was everything American and how that. Isn't that funny? Yeah, it's great, man. It's funny because I, uh, since I became citizen, so that was 2016, 2016, so five years. That was something that was just as big as anything I did musically. You know, like wildest dreams, it's becoming an American. Yeah, you know, because I'm getting your citizenship. Yeah, because it took 15 years to get there. So it was, it was, you know, it's special. Yeah, man, I would imagine <laughs> that being a proud American is... It's going to have a, a bad connotation. experience for you. Yeah, well, these days... Yeah, it's it like a lot of... And I, I look at it, uh, uh, sometimes scratch my head, because I get it, I understand it. I mean, I talk bad about friends sometimes because... No, I, I know, but you have yeah. a... An American would take it for granted. Yeah, you I think so. You, yeah, you don't have that luxury. Like but that. but I love. Uh, I'm not delusional. There's a lot of things all wrong. A lot yeah. of things that need to be fixed and might not ever be fixed. It might get worse before it gets better. But I don't know. I just for everything I've experienced, this is the place I can do it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's always a rebound because it relates also to the way I've done things, which is the highs and the lows, the highs and the lows. And when you think there's no opportunities left. Bam, another one comes around. Like yeah. I didn't feel like in France I could get that. Not this on France, but it's it's right. not the same mentality. There's not that wild west, you know, like Yeah, there's not that sky's limit right. dreamscape. It's a, it's very very American. So it's almost the the pride into the basically just the feeling, just the, the concept of what it's supposed That's to be. That's why we have the flag here for you. Too. I know. And I looked earlier, the sticker said made in USA and not China. So I, <laughs> I uh, give it a good job on that. That's great. <laughs> so uh, random question. You, do you think yourself in English or French? Well, unless I talk to my folks for a while. Like if I, if I talk to them on the phone for an hour, then I got to switch back. <laughs> but I have to switch for them because I, I need to watch like a little French show before I talk to them. So I can find words. Do you dream in American and English now? Do you know, I don't want to sound stupid, but I don't think I talk much in my dreams. I don't remember yeah. most of my dreams, and I don't think I really talk in there. But if I have a dream, we're on the road, you're not going to be speaking French. You know? It's, it's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so do you... Do you go, Bonjour, do mon nom Jack speak to you in French or English? <laughs> <laughs> so, real quick, you moved to Abilene. That's got to be a big adjustment, right? It's. I didn't just move to Abilene because why, why the hell not? It was thought out and I think it's a great idea like it's very settled it's not just a spur of the moment right but when I read about those blues men that I love and you know like lining uh well not lining Hopkins because he probably was a different kind of guy but men's lips come no mm-hmm. he was a farmhand his entire life Fucking farmhand he had kids he had family he raised a family he worked hard labor all his entire life and yeah. when he starts picking guitar and singing you're just like dude he's like on a different 
sphere than the ones that try to do music all the time and they eventually get better and you know like john prime was a mailman for a long time before he wrote wrote songs guy clark fixed yeah. boats and uh but he's almost the guy that was a mailman mailman uh that was bukowski he, <laughs> the post office it was uh you just keep on using me until you use me up bum, 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 bum. Yeah. I'm, I'm blanking on his name, but yeah. he didn't start writing songs until he was in his 30s. Yeah. There's yeah. a bunch of people that, because the only thing you really need to know as a songwriter is you have something to say, is you have to know yourself. Because you have to write what you know. Yeah, shotgun Willie, you can't make a record if you ain't got nothing to say. And that's kind of what, yeah. it's kind of why I, I, I was talking about di differentiating myself of, from, you know, the up and coming singer songwriters, you know, is the, the, the clean cuts, the, the no bruises, the brand new, you know, $3,000 Martins. And, you know, like I used to see them in Nashville and I would go there. I remember this lady named Emma Grandillo, she used to work in a business, but she's older and she introduced me to people at, at uh, Rose's place. Remember mm -hmm. Taps, Taps and Tavis? I used to go to all the time. She'd be, oh my God, this is so-and-so. He's amazing. Oh, this is Frenchie and he's amazing. And I just started writing songs. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm cool, whatever, you know. I I think. And then I remember one night I, I, when I get in my moods, I turn around. She's like, oh, so-and-so is so amazing. And I turn around to Emma and I went, Emma, and that's fucking amazing how everybody is a fucking John Lennon in this town. Nobody sucks. Nobody sucks. <laughs> <laughs> And she just kind of went like this. It's like, you know, you can't be patting everybody in the back like, oh, you're great, you're this and that. I understand, you know, you want to encourage people, but don't encourage the ones that, you know, that maybe need to be told, like, you know. That's a great town to where. But that, that's what you. You being you your shit, own yeah. best critic. Yeah. Worst and best critic. Yeah. But like when people, I remember, you know, yeah, I dealt with that by going, no, I'm not. Yeah, <laughs> right. And I wouldn't say it until I thought I was. Yeah, but you did that. You did that, and you, you know, and uh, but that's why I like, moved to Abilene. I, I, it's exotic to me. It's it's poetic because it's it's a real town. Like people, say, you know, few friends, you know, they go, like, "Why?" I say, "Well, first of all, because this is this is my life. This is my girl, and you know, this is yeah, it." Man. But then also, what do you want me to do? Move back to Austin again for the third time, or move to Nashville? I would be completely lost right. if I moved to Nashville. You know, I'm forty. Yeah. What am I going to do at 40 years old? I mean, yes, I can call this people. This is your home now. This is my home. Texas is my home and small town vibe. And, you know, I still play with you, which is a, a priority, like a passion that I have just as much as me going and play my shows. You know, like I'm playing in Abilene. You know? And, you know, his place is called the Ice House. It's a pasture and it's yeah. pretty cool. And, you know, I'm going to play for three hours from seven to 10. And, you know, people take like, they do three forty fives. You know what I do? I do uh, almost two hour. Oh, over 90 minutes and I take a 15, 20 minute break and then finish it. So yeah. it's a great practice. Yeah, I think your I think your world's gonna change Changing. when when you make a record, this record you're talking about making, how you how you wanna make it. And and you you go out and open for somebody, somebody. get a crowd. Get play thirty minutes. Yeah. Give, you know, like that. Get the best songs getting and the, just. Getting that other kind of. Yeah, because when you track. go play those breweries and stuff, I love it. And it's been very helpful because, you know, you make 300 bucks, come on, press yeah. tips, you know, you make 400 bucks, whatever, you know, it adds up real quick. You do a couple, you know, I get your schedule and I'm like, all right, there's a hole here, there's a hole there, boom, boom, boom. And it's full, fully employed. Hey, right? so I don't get in trouble with Kevin. Y'all got a show tonight. So let's wrap this up. <laughs> hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. It's Frenchy, French Fry, forever. Forget, forget me not. Fresca Freedom. Froggy, Frenchy. <laughs> Kevin, see you.
Well, yeah. thanks for having me. That was a blast. So let's get I love ready. hanging out with you, French. I love, I love, I love being it. with you in a band. Yep. I love hanging with you in the bus. And hopefully we'll do it as long as we can. And I, God, <laughs> I love the fact that you're like the meatball that rolled off the table and ended up <laughs> on an entire adventure. <laughs> <laughs> meatball, <laughs> meatball that fell off the table and put back in the, in the plate. Hey, don't forget we have a show to take off somewhere. Know, nine o'clock. <laughs> what time is the show tonight? I think nine.